0: so the recording has started on my end <clears throat> get that one in okay and uh in the intro i guess we're kind of we'll make it up as we go along a little bit uh, i was going to talk some about like the reception to the first episode and uh maybe riff on that a bit um, yeah I and mean, I-
1: if if you want to if you want to lead us in we'll just kind of do whatever
0: sure yeah we'll go and we'll go until we're we're tired of it <laughs> fuck it we'll do it live um, all right <clears throat> countdown from seven seven six five four three two one uh hello everybody we're back we made it to a second episode welcome back to this show that we call here's a guy and I am once again um, joined by my two illustrious co-hosts. Um, We'll start with you, uh, Cody. Cody's back. Uh, my older brother, Cody, he's here again. Cody, how are you doing?
1: I'm good. I, I'm i interested in the way you phrased that because it sounds like you expected a Spotify executive to tell you you could only keep posting the show if you got rid of me, which <laughs> I think is probably something that it wouldn't have completely shocked me. But uh, still, I, I, I appreciate the vote of no confidence there, but I am back. I am back for week two
0: back um i i know i think the whatever what, the, whatever stupid things there are about the show are shared equally among the three of us uh uh let's make no doubt about that so
1: so I'll, so if they get rid of one of us we're all done basically. that's right
0: and then you know we'll like we'll, a nice stool we're we'll, held together
2: on the weakness of all equal three legs
0: yeah, and then we can we can look into, you know, what sort of things maybe we could do. Uh, let's say at Spotify headquarters to, you know, show them that the, they, they really don't have any other choice but to put us back on.
1: I, uh, I got a list. Don't worry. I got a, I got a whole thing.
0: And that voice you heard just a few seconds ago that was not me or Cody is Jack. Jack, hello. Hell, say hello to everybody, Jack. <laughs> yes, I am back. I was able to hold off the violent
2: mobs after my pun outburst in the last episode i'm here again hopefully on less shaky grounds
1: i have literally heard more response to that and the (laughs) fact that we named episode one after the worst joke any of us have ever made than anything else i i have not heard nearly as many compliments as people going why why would you do that why would you even leave that in yeah, every,
2: uh, every every show needs a, a dynamic rod to take in all of the aggressive hate, and well, I will are, raise that rod.
1: You are definitely so a dynamic rod. That is how I would uh, <laughs> describe you to anyone who doesn't know. He's a dynamic rod. Both
0: um, those words are
1: accurate.
0: Well, if there's one thing we strive for at uh, Here's a Guy uh, headquarters, it's chaos. And um, that's a chaos move. Na- naming the episode after the worst joke of the whole thing um joke that almost just ended the podcast at recording i was i was looking up how long it would take to get to indianapolis um <laughs> i i had weapons in hand ready to go um but i decided to lay off and give you another chance so Dak's back this week um well the episode what do, you know what I have do i get uh that's i mean really you're an adult it's up to you <laughs> what you do with this just i mean you heard how upset i was about the whole thing. And you also remember my bit about how there's no fucking tomfoolery on this show. We're here to learn. We're here to learn. Um, I, had, I did get one piece of feedback. And first of all, let me just say about the feedback. Thank you to everybody. We had a lot more people listen to this than I was expecting, um, given it's our first week and we're three guys that nobody gives a shit about. Um, and I'm I'm serious about that. We had like several dozen people listen to the first episode of the show. Um, So thank you to everybody who tuned in and enjoyed it. Um, I didn't receive any other negative feedback, which says, first of all, um, uh, speaks to the kindness of all of you. Second of all, a lot of you are lying. Because let me just start. Um, Nobody had anything to say about the fact that um, my mic was not plugged in. And so it was the computer audio and I sounded like crap. And nobody said anything about the fact that later in the episode, the crickets that had uh, stormed into my basement, you could hear them. And so I appreciate the kindness, but, um, you know, you people are also a bunch of liars for pretending not to notice that. Um,
1: Is, Is that not just what kindness is, though, really, is lying at the appropriate moments? Now that,
0: now that blew my mind.
1: It also could have
2: been just, people thought really highly enough of you to edit in post-work post, uh, post uh, work
0: crickets into the stories where you, as an editor, were dulled. What I really wish would have happened is, after the, the, the cabbage pun, that neither of us reacted. Like, our reactions, I, I wasn't, of course we're going to react to something like that. But what I wish would have happened in Sign sight would have been neither of us reacted and you could just hear the crickets. Because, frankly, that is what you deserved. Um, Silence
2: is the worst reaction. <laughs>
0: I think I think Cody nailed it like the insulting thing about it was that there were better puns available and you chose the the darkest path that was right. on you my friend so
2: so to to so my gears were turning that entire time so Cody Cody mentions his name and there's about 30 seconds before I get the joke in and I was like well I could go like so his name was Roman and I could go for the very easy lettuce but I was like he's a cousin so he's kind of tangentially there and in my head, because I don't eat vegetables, that you know, cabbage is close enough, but not exactly related. Like it, it's a it's a blood barrier thing. Like he's not blood cousins. He's like his wife's whatever. Like it's distant cousin. That's that's See, that was I, where I, I was coming from.
1: I don't believe a fucking word of this. I I you are trying to explain logically why it makes sense. I think you just don't want to own up to the fact that that was a terrible joke. But it was the first thing that came to your mind. and You had to get it out of your mouth. This is very much
0: like a, uh, like uh, you're, you're like a minute away from being hung. The guys putting the noose around your neck. Uh, it
1: is the speech from <laughs> Wild Wild West where they're about to hang Will Smith and he's trying to talk his way out of it. That's exactly what it is.
0: Um, for those of you who uh, follow our Twitter account, which is here's a guy pod, I'll plug that one early. Um, you may have seen a little preview. Uh, as to what we're gonna be talking about, and we have three doozies um in fact, I think it, they might some of them might even be more doozies than last week, and I'm very excited about it um before we get to it um uh uh I guess I should ask the two of you uh week out from the first episode uh did you have anything anything you wanted to add?
1: uh no, not really, just uh adding on to to what you said, thanks again for everybody who who listened uh that was much like you a, a significantly bigger response than i was expecting uh or audience than i was expecting so uh thanks uh, everybody's been really really nice so far uh except to jack john for that pun but we've been over that uh he's been spanked appropriately so i i think we can safely move on from that one and trust that uh, it won't happen again or you know what happens
2: and yeah, I want to say thank you to everyone for the for the love and the shout-outs and that your violence fuels me and I will only grow stronger with each threat.
0: <laughs> well, that's... I don't know whether that's what i like <laughs> to hear or not. Um, so yeah, I, I guess if, if... That's it. Um, well, I don't know. I don't know. Do we want to fucking make Dan... Is there any other IC stuff we want to talk about if that's such a big fucking problem? <laughs> so let me... Also, let me... To... to to just give everyone some background about how this is going so far um this week we have our video on on the call and i do want to point out jack is a standing and b drinking wine straight out of the bottle so and i think and he's going first so we're and he just finished oh, it is, also is,
1: is is that wine okay i was worried for a second cuz <laughs> i didn't know what it was and it looked like a fucking vodka bottle i'm like wow he had a day huh
0: no, I don't we, want to talk about this while we're recording, but we went over. I don't this. want to mention
2: it early, but Jack is spiraling in a very bad way. <laughs> I hope he's. I hope he can get some good audio because he's not going to make he's it. He's also.
1: He's also wearing a T-shirt that says "Definitely Not Drunk," which, I mean, I I. It was kind of confusing because it looked to me like you were drinking vodka almost <laughs> almost to the bottom of the bottle, straight from the bottle. So. You know, I was going to be like, were you going for irony here and this is just something you're doing for tonight or do we need to stay for a while after the pod and talk about <laughs> how to get you yes. clean?
2: This is my ironic drinking shirt. If I plan on getting drunk, I wear this shirt. Ooh, excuse me. Want, oh, you can God. edit that out if you need to. No, I'm, it's, I'm no, 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 no.
0: That's staying in because you need, we need a record of what you just did. <laughs> I'm used to an episode where
2: being drunk is encouraged and we named our <laughs> podcast After a Bird.
0: I guess that is true. Hashtag BelchCast. Uh, Got to throw that one in there. Um, uh, no, I mean, BelchCast. Good podcast. You dropped a new episode uh, within the last week. Everyone go check it out. Um, also, again, go listen to mine, uh, which I think was the episode before that, where I uh, I talk about Garfield for I think like an hour. So we
2: It was, I think, at the time of posting, the longest episode we'd ever put out. Uh, the, I had a lot of Garfield material, and it's, I didn't even get to all of It, it was the crazy part. It's going to get trumped by the newest episode that I'm editing, uh, but uh, as of recording, Alex has the longest episode in Belchcast history.
0: That's right. That's right. And it was really kind of like a proto version of what this podcast I knew was going to be. And right. that leads us to, um, I think we've bantered long enough. I think we've got enough banter in, so...
1: I think we've bantered entirely too long. I'm appropriately banted.
0: Yeah, so um, without any further ado... Let's get to it. Let's talk about some guys. And as I just mentioned, Jack, you are up first. <laughs> what are we talking about this week, Jack? Yeah, see, Actually, so wait. What was the... your what What was your what's a little song you did for before, before we? Oh. It was, oh, here's should've...
2: the guys. Yeah, I mean, some if that's dumb, dumb shit, I'm, it, it I'm doesn't Trump, matter. But I don't remember. But I think that's close enough. And not I... fucking.
1: We're we're going to switch that in editing with. <laughs> Um, like Usher's Confessions Part 2 or something <laughs> stupid like that it's it's the running trapped joke trapped in it. the
2: closet <laughs> it, it'll be the new running joke that you guys asked me to sing the intro and I forget the key and the pitch and the lyrics every time it's great
1: we'll we're never... gonna do a super cut of all, of all of of you just doing it all in a row and it will cause epileptic seizures I think
0: oh, okay alright so now that we've got that covered um, Jack who's your guy this week yeah so, so here's a guy that I'm going to talk about. His name is David Hahn,
2: better known as the Nuclear Boy Scout. I love it already. And so what's great about David Hahn is that like all great people,
0: he's from Detroit. Fantastic. Fantastic. Did you have any more material that's, on uh, Detroit? That, that,
1: that, no, no. Great, Cody, yeah, you want you, you want to piss off you want to piss off another city before we keep going or Apologies, all good? Our,
0: apologies to all our listeners from Detroit.
2: We, we have a huge basis in Detroit, and I will refuse uh, no to apologize. Fucking
0: Pistons or whatever.
2: Go fuck the Pistons, absolutely. So, so, David Hahn, born in Detroit in 76, his parents worked for General Motors. Uh, but before too long, his parents get divorced. So, he is essentially splitting his time between two households there. So, he's going to go ahead and live with his dad and his stepmom. But he spends the weekends at his biological mom's house. So, um, while he's living with his dad and his stepmom, uh, for uh, one of his birthdays, his stepmom's dad gives him a book, which is the golden age of chemistry experiments. It is kind of one of those classic vintage science books, textbooks of the era of the 70s and 80s, where it's just kind of like the general man's, like, Here's everything we know about chemistry. We don't know much, but here's here's a bunch of like basic beaker test bullshit that you can do.
0: Now, so back then in science textbooks, um, were they like textbooks in the 90s where they had like inexplicably weirdly dressed people throughout? So that was my favorite thing about textbooks.
2: I didn't get a chance to look at the PDF, but looking at the cover of this book, I can't imagine there are many pictures, and if they're in there, they're not good pictures. This... This looks not dense, but boring. And just very much the like, hey, you wanted to learn about science. Well, here the fuck you go.
0: Well, shame on you to the Michigan Board of Education for not putting pictures. Of your criminal.
1: I mean, it could be worse. This could, kid could have grown up in like rural Alabama and the picture of the textbook or picture on the front of the textbook is just Adam and Eve. Yeah. <laughs> and then something tells me the rest of this story wouldn't have happened.
0: That's a geography you, slam right there.
2: <laughs> you you open up the textbook and it's just Genesis chapter one. You're like, well, god damn
0: it! Now that also that's clever. Jack just get, did finger guns. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: <laughs> oh, any anyway.
1: God, I hate yeah, us so, so much.
2: So so David gets this book, and from a young age, he's very interested in science and kind of experimentation. He was a Boy Scout at this time as well. So he's kind of one of those, uh, I've got nothing better to do. I'm just going to kind of learn. So he starts to take a really fascinating, like, he starts to get really infatuated with science. So at age 14, he starts to get really, really, like, actually legitimately smart about it. And he's able to even make, at at age 14, he's able to make through, like, chemical composition nitroglycerin. Like, he's, he's smart. The kid's a fucking genius, basically.
1: I don't know how many fourteen-year-olds I want to be able to make nitroglycerin. I I guess I guess it turned out okay with this kid. Sounds like he was doing the uh, good kind of experimentation in the Boy Scouts, as opposed to the uh, what could have happened there.
2: Nitroglycerin, as you're going to come to find out, is the least of the problems of the things (laughs) he's going to generate. Oh, great! So, so at this point, he's mostly doing just basic chemical equations and kind of small projects in his bedroom in his parents' home so he's doing these and he's kind of just like wrecking the place his parents are kind of getting annoyed he's creating the like chemical burns on the carpet he's like manufacturing minor explosions at this point he's he's gone to a boy scout trip and he brought magnesium just like raw magnesium in the attempts to make a firework and ended up almost like blowing a hole in a tent like he's He's becoming violently experimental at this point, not so, necessarily like malicious, but stupidly.
1: So magnesium, I remember this actually one of the few things I remember from a science class in junior high. If you guys are not familiar, if you take raw magnesium and drop it in water, it explodes. Uh, and I had actually, our science teacher told us about people doing this to help drain ponds that were really low. Like, if if it was low but kind of localized, they just drop a big chunk of magnesium in it and it would blow the blow the water out. <laughs> so yeah, you have to be that does work. You can get a pretty neat firework from that, but you really gotta be careful how much you use, and I expect that was probably the problem he ran into. Right. And so he's he's essentially just
2: like you remember being fourteen, you're dumb and adventurous, and you don't really understand the complex nature of things that you're doing, and in the case of David Hahn, he's doing it with chemical compositions. <laughs> so he brings magnesium on this Boy Scout trip and almost, like, blows aside a hole in a tent in attempts to manufacture fireworks. He also, uh, on one trip, came uh, on a camping trip with uh, a noticeably more orange face than usual, and he actually uh, localized, overdosed on a chemical um Uh, in attempts to essentially make a self-tanner is the best way to explain it. Basically what it is, is there is a chemical named cathaxithin, which uh, is known as essentially an ingredient in like self-tanning pills, but it also is able to be found naturally through fish and poultry and actually mushrooms. Um, And he had been experimenting with it and legitimately... Like, his skin was overdosed on it and was noticeably orange. So he was doing these experiments, essentially, but also with a very scary lack of disregard for himself in the process. It wasn't malicious. It was just kind of just like, this kid doesn't know what the fuck he's doing, but he's smart enough to do it.
1: He's a true scientist, then. Yes, yes, And the very I mean, he, he base just, of He the just word. doesn't give a shit what happens, he just wants to know what <laughs> happens. He's pushing the
2: limits
0: of what neutral science is. So you say, uh, so he did this and uh, his skin came out looking, uh, he came out looking like notoriously orange? Who did he, uh, <laughs> who did he grow up to be? Uh, <laughs> freaking, uh, uh, fuck, what was it? Uh, Donald Trump? Boom! <laughs> That, we're on a roll, folks. So be going better. brave. So brave. Is that, he's finished. I tell you what. There's no coming back from that. He's
2: literally, he's literally finished. We're <laughs> recording we're recording this episode in October of 2021. And kudos to Alice. I've never heard that joke before.
0: That's first time, first time he for like, well. He
2: doesn't does know you mentioned it. I've ne- I've never heard that. Holy shit, he's orange.
0: Hey, what look! Run with that? I'm, I'm on the cutting edge of comedy. What can I say?
1: <laughs> Man, you know, I don't, I don't miss Norm so much now. We, oh. we've still got you.
0: RIP.
2: So, so to this point, David Hahn is kind of just like, I don't want to call him your average exploratory science kid, but he's he's doing no real harm. He's just kind of experimenting and doing kind of, kind of like whimsical shit. Then he. And and due to this era, this is this is the mid-80s. From what I understand about the 80s, you could just do whatever the fuck you want, and we'll kind of explore this idea more later. But David comes into red phosphorus. Which, oh, if you boy. don't know, is essentially the chemical compound <laughs> wow. of hashtags. Yeah. So, so David takes red phosphorus and he has it in a glass container. And at this point, his parents are like, "Hey, get the fuck out of your bedroom! Like, you're you're destroying your bedroom. Go to the basement." Can't and you just like, disip- yeah? Can't you just masturbate like a normal kid? <laughs> so, so David uh, has been kicked to the basement. His dad is like, "Look, you're you're fucking up your bedroom. I'm tired of you doing this. Go to the basement." So, in the basement, in his new makeshift laugh, David has red phosphorus in a glass container. And like all great scientists, takes a screwdriver, and takes the handle of the screwdriver, and just bashes the glass open. This explodes, because phosphorus um, is going to fucking explode. And the explosion sends glass shrapnel into his eyes, arms, and body, and injures him. Because what the fuck else would have happened?
1: Well, yeah, of course. I, I didn't think he shrugged it off unless this was a new superhero origin story.
2: Yeah, so, and and what's great about this idea of him being smart or, like, a scientist, he wasn't wearing goggles. Like, it's not like he had safety protection and it failed. He was just, just beating the shit out of phosphorus, essentially, with a hammer.
0: And, I mean, I miss the days, you know, in this country where you could just, uh, you know, you could just smash phosphorus with a hammer without wearing any goggles before the wussification of the t- of the next generation, I <laughs> think you need gloves and goggles, or else you're gonna go blind and your face is gonna get melted off. Free to mate, free Hoka.
2: Free
1: to mate, free. Back in my but, day,
2: we used to we used to just hit phosphorus, and you know what? We we were better for it. Yeah, we hit more phosphorus. On that on
1: next week's uh, more on that on next week's pod with special guest Jordan Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: so at this point. His dad is just like, fuck it. You can't do science in my house. Like, you need to get the fuck out. He doesn't explicitly kick him out, but he's like, if you're gonna do science shit, go the fuck to your mom's. So David then starts doing... <laughs> <laughs> David starts doing science experiments now out of his mom's garden shed in the backyard. His parents are in close proximity enough where he can, he can do both. I didn't really get any information on if he was fully kicked out. But from what I can tell, he was at least relegated to do his experiments at mom's house.
1: So no fourteen-year-old should ever have a shed. I'm just putting that out there. They <laughs> never give for- a fourteen-year-old access to a shed where he can just do whatever. Whatever you do in a shed unsupervised, I don't know specifically what's going to happen, but it's going to be like one of ten really bad things.
0: Yeah, I mean, can you just imagine at- the smell inside that thing?
1: At at best, it's a masturbation
2: shed. At worst, it's Everything else. This probably is the
0: worst yeah, thing that it This is.
2: is, without spoiling what he does, this is probably the worst.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Short of blowing up the world. Which he doesn't do, spoiler, we're, we're still alive today. But, so, basically, he moves in, like, essentially into this area, and his, his stepdad now, so he's with his mom and his stepdad, and the stepdad is like, hey, you're a Boy Scout, you need to get a fucking hobby, why don't you try to cu- become an Eagle Scout? Why don't you achieve, like, the highest metric of being a Boy Scout? Like, you've got reckless energy. Fucking do something with it.
1: He was, though.
2: Yeah, and the the stepdad's not wrong. He was like, look, you're smart and stupid. Let's try to, like, (laughs) speed this into just being just stupid, but, like, educated. Because, again, he's beating phosphorus.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. You beat me to that. It's like, if you're smart and stupid... Uh, get together should, with
1: should be doing this. Uh, get yeah. together
0: with two of your friends and start a podcast called Here's a Guy. <laughs> That's what you do.
2: Spoiler alert, I'm David Hahn. Uh, <laughs> no, so so his stepdad is basically just like, Hey, like, why have you been doing dumb shit with science? And David says, you know, someday we're gonna run out of oil. <laughs> and what David ends True, up doing but... is, is in in his Eagle Scout like studying. He starts to focus on a merit badge focused on nuclear energy. But yeah, so, so in 2019, roughly 62,000 uh, young Boy Scouts got the first aid merit badge. Nuclear science, even in 2019, was only, it's like, that merit badge was only gotten by about 6,000. So it's one of, like, the lesser known. At the time of getting this merit badge, no one in his Boy Scout troop had gone this route.
1: I am not surprised. That's more people than I thought would have gone for a nuclear science merit
0: badge. <laughs> he he was uh, he was shooting for the the very rare acute radiation syndrome
1: badge. Oh yeah,
0: that's that's not. <laughs> what did I say that? Man, <laughs> God
1: damn. So Jesus Christ! Around- pr- R.I.P. Marie Curie.
2: <laughs> around this same time, David is also picking up part-time jobs in fast food and retail. Just to, to like source his science experiments. So he's essentially he needs money to buy fucking red phosphorus. So he's he's flipping burgers. he's he's working dollar checkouts. like he's doing what he can just to make money to do shit. So what he ends up doing is he ends up doing the nuclear science merit badge. And he does a really good job at it. He ends up getting the badge. He does like the legitimate, like so with merit badges, you have a workbook essentially and you essentially have to check off and it's almost like a, like a, a take home test where like you do these different like like you solve like short answer problems and like you you prove that you have a, like a functioning understanding of the process that you're like you're going towards and he does it he does a really good job. He makes a scale home model using like adequate supplies and correct like supplies like water bottles and like showing like water flow for how like a basic generator works and he does a really good job at it. But this kind of opens up the floodgates of resources that he can now use in his personal life. So as a part of this, he's also, like, he, like, took a tour of a radiology department at a hospital and kind of learned how, like, radiology and, like, (laughs) nuclear science works in the medical field. And he, like, learns a lot of things about nuclear science. Which then gets us to our first big problem. Uh Is that David then learns about what's called the Breeder Reactor.
0: And pretty sure I we... saw that on a. Uh... fuck, hold on. No. <laughs> Don't get maxed. Yeah, fine. I was I was trying to think of a porn thing too, but we got there.
2: I knew as I knew as soon as I was researching this, and I was like, Breeder Reactor, fuck. <laughs> There's a joke immediately there.
1: I bet there is at least there is at least one really scuzzy Reddit account with that username. <laughs> the Breeder
0: um, Reactor. The Breeder Reactor.
2: That, so, so what a Labrido thing reactor, to call something! So, so we're I'm I'm not a science person. I don't think this will ever be a science podcast. But to put the breeder reactor in very very simple terms, from what I've been able to research, and I looked at a couple of different sources to help explain this, it's essentially a self sustaining nuclear reactor that can be done on a very large scale. The problem with this is that in large scale applications, it was proven to be not cost effective, and they were prone to meltdowns. Uh, Uh
1: uh-huh in IRL situations I think that's probably the worst problem a nuclear reactor can have (laughs) I I think not matching the wallpaper scheme and all that other possible uh possible issues kind of come in second to that one there's there's two
2: things with nuclear uh science to make it viable against uh fossil fuel consumption one is it cost effective and two does it blow the fuck up and these generally
0: don't qualify under both of those like points uh, prone to meltdowns what are they uh god this is an old reference at this point uh prone to meltdowns what are they rick and morty fans when they can't get their szechuan sauce <laughs> <laughs> anyone remember, does anyone okay. remember that happening Whoa. at
1: all oh. jesus that was so, jones that's so stupid anyway you're you really have to start coming up with the punchlines before you start saying the sentence yeah. <laughs> what's that's the fun of that cast is an hour too long
2: What's great about this is you're going to take the heat off me for bad jokes, and I love it. Or you're infringing on my territory and I hate it, I'm not sure yet. Yeah, so basically, the breeder uh, reactor, it relies on plutonium fission. So basically, it's uh, the splitting and releasing of energy, and this happens when a neutron combines with a nucleus from a radio... Uh, radi- yeah, When a neutron combines with the nucleus from a radiated isotope, So basically, it's like the constant splitting of neutrons, and this creates perpetual energy. And at a small scale, it works. And fucking kudos to David, he makes one. He legitimately makes one in his mom's shed. Mm -hmm. And
1: guess how the fuck he makes it? I genuinely have no idea.
0: I understand perfectly well, but go ahead and tell the audience just in case they don't know.
1: He lies to several government agencies and institutions on how to get shit. Now I'm starting to like this kid. So, so David... I mean, he is he's 14. I've got to imagine that government officials are like, he says he's yeah. doing it for school. He's a 14-year-old kid. What's he, building a nuclear reactor?
2: Yeah. So, at this point, a little bit of time has passed, I should say. He's roughly around 16, 17, 18 in this time period that I'm talking about now. He's a little He'll bit older, but he's still a minor.
1: For still way before nuclear reactor age. Yeah, yeah,
2: he's he's still a kid for the rest of this chunk of the story. So what he does is through his research for Boy Scouts and kind of understanding the different institutions that work and everything, he calls up the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, he calls up the American Nuclear Society, he calls up the Edison Electric Institute and the Atomic Industrial uh, Company, and he... Tells him that he's a college professor. And they believe him. And they fucking believe him.
0: Oh, uh, that's such a good bit.
2: So,
1: yeah happens... I'm, from, I'm from Florida University. Yeah, Guys, part... I told him it was Florida University. The initials are at you.
2: And the great part is none of these institutions check any of his credentials. They're just like, of course yeah, not. this professor called me. Dope.
0: The so, smartest minds in the world. So what
2: happens is he... So the Nuclear Regulatory Committee, I'm gonna call them the, N- the NRC for the rest of this. He calls the NRC, and he's like, look, dude, I'm a professor. I'm trying to do this experiment with my class. Uh, can you tell me how to make a nuclear reactor? Essentially, is what he tells them. And they told him how to isolate and obtain uh, radiographic isotopes, and they gave him exact info on how the fuck to do this. He just called them up and was like, hey, how do I do this? And they fucking told him.
1: And and they they again they checked none of his credentials. They checked none of this out. They just sent him this stuff. Yes.
0: And um also to be clear, you know, this is academia. These are major institutions. These are the people who are like kinda sorta in charge of the world. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. Like this is, for all intents and purposes, like one of the main like, commissions on nuclear science in the country at this point in time. Kick-ass. So, so he's essentially, he's called the NRC, and he knows exactly, kind of, like, the basic rudimentary crude functions on how he should do this. The problem is, so he kind of needs resources. And I told you that he's been working part-time, essentially, to get extra money. So, he needs supplies, right? So... Here's how he gets his fucking supplies to make this breeder reactor in his mom's backyard. <laughs> he needs smoke detectors, which contain... Uh, so the smoke... De- con- ah, sorry. So the smoke detectors, they contain uh, americium 241 which uh, essentially is a nuclear and like lead-based material. And he essentially calls a company and is like, hey, I'm working on a school project. Can I have 100 smoke detectors? And they
0: say okay. yes. Because, of course, they do.
2: And not only what? do they say yes,
1: they offer it to him at a reduced price. I mean, they must have thought, like, what's the worst that could happen? The kid's extra safe from fire? Like, what could he possibly be doing from the with these that could be even remotely dangerous? And uh, then they read the papers here in a couple weeks yeah. and uh, felt pretty fucking stupid, I would imagine. So this company gives him the detectors, at a reduced price, they also tell him
2: how and where to extract the like the chemical component that's found inside detectors. They tell him how to get it the fuck out to where it's viable. So they've essentially been like, "Hey, here's our product, sure. um, and here's exactly how to make it malicious."
0: Yeah, like we we yeah. Please take these. We'll we'll let you have them. We'll do anything to let you have them. Uh, don't do anything uh, untoward with them. But if you wanted to, here's how you would do it. how this played out
1: yes no i i i gotta say this before i give you these do not do this exact thing that i'm going to explain how to do that you would have had no idea i just i need to explain it so you don't do it on accident okay i'm gonna tell you exactly how you would do this don't do it
2: so you see that you see that little bit of chemical compound in there in the middle. Yeah, that's that's a that's a two forty one. You don't want to touch that. That shit's super radioactive. And to make sure you don't touch it, here's exactly how you get it out. You're don't far do
0: that. you're far too young to deal with this responsibly. But here you go.
2: Right. So he's got he's got the the two forty one. There's still a lot of things on his list. So he uh, starts going to pawn shops and second-hand stores, and he takes a Geiger counter, which measures radiation. And he starts measuring old clocks to find radium, uh, which illuminated clocks uh, used to have uh, radium in them uh, with how they would light up. So that was a source of essentially nuclear energy if you bought a fuckload of them, which he did. He got a fuckload of those. He also was getting camping lanterns uh, by the hundreds from what I was able to find out to get thorium. He was going uh, and uh, getting old gun sights with have uh, tritium, uh, tritium in it. Which is basically like the hollow site or like the the essentially like um like illuminated site that you can get off those scopes he was getting those
1: he how, much, his, how much fucking
2: money does this kid have? um <laughs> it was the late eighties, early nineties, so
1: enough I get he's just I mean, buying shit by the hundred I couldn't buy he's... a hundred anything when i was when I was seventeen, eighteen. I couldn't buy a hundred pennies. Through his connections and
2: resourcefulness, somehow he's getting this. It's really not clear how much money he was making or how he was affording all of this. But it's said that he got all of this, and it gets <laughs> fucking worse, Cody. Just you wait. So through his connection with the hospital, through the radiology ward that he worked with, through his Boy Scout merit badge, he ends up getting barium sulfate. Um, they just fucking let him have it. Um, through his lying <laughs> credentials as a college professor, they're just like, here, I have barium sulfate.
0: Yeah, he Professor. Up... Uh, this, yeah, this professor, this pro- uh, professor Blumpkin uh, that called in, who sounds like really young, but pretty smart. Uh, he needs some barium. You want to know he the
1: most... He, he also wants to speak to IP freely. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you want to know the most fucked up ingredient that he's able to get? Cyanide. He ends up... And, and it's not really explained from my research how the fuck he got this, but he ends up getting pure uranium. <laughs> from Czechoslovakia.
1: <laughs> and you know the shipping fees from I... Czechoslovakia on God knows how much uranium. Is he building a fucking time machine DeLorean? <laughs> what do these people think he's using this for? All I gotta say, what?
0: God bless Libyans... God bless Eastern Europe. Bert, the Libyans for their are right now. <laughs> yeah, so so what I am like able to understand, he
2: essentially gets a connection in Czechoslovakia, and just orders uranium over the phone. And it works! And he gets all of this shit, and he is able to make a functioning breeder reactor, and he's he's won. He's he's done the thing he set it to do, and he, he, he fucking did it. And you would think there'd be massive parades, and he'd be put as an actual college professor before he's graduated high
0: school. I mean, in, However, in, a, in a perverted sense, he is a genius when you really think about it.
2: He's a destructive, idiot genius. Yes. So what ends up happening is he does it, and he's like, cool. But then he notices, because he has a Geiger counter, that the radioactivity of this just keeps fucking rising. And yeah, that's, that's what happens. <laughs> because this is an unsustained, prone-to-meltdown form of science. And at some point, he's able to detect radioactivity that's alarmingly high five houses down from where he's built this.
1: So this is radioactive so, in his neighborhood. So there's going to be some flipper babies born on that block, then.
2: Or just no babies at all, because everyone is just completely wiped.
1: I, also, yes. Best case scenario,
0: everyone's sterile. I'm, I'm going to imagine that this is the origin story for uh, The Simpsons.
2: <laughs> this is radioactive, man. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he's like, fuck, like, all right, this was fun. I've got to get this shit out. So he waits till about 2.30 at night, uh, one night, and he's, he's like, fuck it, I gotta, I gotta remove this shit somehow. So he does what any high schooler would do in this time, and he just is gonna put it in the trunk of his car and figure it out later. So at 2.30 in the morning, he's essentially disassembling shit from his shed and taking it to his trunk. And because I imagine that this isn't the easiest of jobs, he's making a lot of noise. And his neighbors notice that somebody keeps going to cars and is making a shitload of noise at 2.30 in the morning in the suburbs in the 90s and they're like, cool, we're getting robbed. So what they do is they call the cops. So the cops show up and David is standing there and he basically has no real excuse for what he's doing. He's just warning the cops that they shouldn't be near it because it's radioactive. (laughs) So naturally, the cops are like, cool, we're calling in the fucking bomb squad then. (laughs) <laughs> right, yeah, luckily, the bomb squad comes in, and they're like, "'All right, cool, this isn't a bomb, but it's fucking radioactive, so essentially, what happens is that the feds are then called because um, there's some radioactive bullshit happening,
0: uh,
2: and they're able to measure it, and it's a thousand times more radioactive than anything in the suburbs should be like it's it's overly like exponentially radioactive
1: what is the cutoff for how radioactive things in the suburbs are allowed to be i mean does the city council make that ordinance or the neighborhood home association or i mean as far as michigan even today would stand to tell
2: you that threshold is really high
1: i mean yeah well you've seen the water they let them drink exactly exactly there's more more than that in there
2: So what happens is that the feds call the NRC and the NRC, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission, uh, they come in and they're like, um, alright, this is all fine and super radioactive, but this isn't our jurisdiction, this isn't a functioning nuclear site.
1: (laughs) It sounds like they're just trying real hard not to tell anybody that they're the ones that told him how to do this. Right, and and in, in later interviews or whatever, like,
2: David was like, yeah, no, they told me how the fuck to do everything. But they come in and they're like, look, this isn't, like, a practicing nuclear site. Like, this is out of our jurisdiction. This ain't on us. (laughs) Womp, womp. So what happens is it took two months for the NRC to come out. It took another (laughs) three months for the EPA to come out. So five months at best.
1: So So after everybody in the neighborhood has three heads, that's when they decide to show up and start checking this out. So the
2: EPA come out five months after all this happened, after there's been a proven nuclear reactor in their backyard. And what happens is, unbeknownst to the mom, and she claimed this as negligence and she didn't know what happened, but she was throwing out nuclear material just in the regular trash (laughs) in this time period. She she was just cleaning out the shed, getting rid of the shit threw away a lot of nuclear waste. She didn't put it in the nuclear bin? She, she didn't separate her nuclears from her recyclings. She just put them all in the same dump. Can't be doing that. So, essentially the EPA cleans this all up, but they notice that there's a lacking amount of shit. Uh, the EPA okay. then estimates that 40,000 total people have been exposed to this nuclear cancer-causing waste. <laughs> So just to recap really quickly, David Hahn, uh, Boy Scout, creates a nuclear uh, shell of a breeder reactor in his backyard. Uh, David then goes to community college. Um, He's not really too keen to going to classes from there. He ends up enlisting (laughs) in the Navy. Funny enough, gets um, uh, deployed out to a nuclear-powered aircraft carrier, the USS Enterprise.
1: That seems like it would be first on their no-no list for this kid.
2: Fun fact about the USS Enterprise, uh, it's where Top Gun was filmed.
1: Hey! Yeah,
2: so, fun connection there. Uh, The USS Enterprise was active from 61 to 2012. (laughs) Um, There he was a seaman. Always funny. Yep. Uh (laughs) But he he ends up doing a little more time in the Marines. He ends up getting honorably discharged on medical grounds. It doesn't really specify exactly what, I'm sure that's probably more lock and key, but he's uh, he's honorably discharged, which is a huge distinction.
1: I'm, I'm guessing just... it's because he was glowing and it was keeping all his bunkmates <laughs> up at night.
0: <laughs> you have 17 toes, and we can't specifically say why this would be a problem, but it seems like a problem.
1: If Go he on. had 17 toes, they'd keep him and make him sleep hanging upside down in the closet or something. Like, look, we want to accommodate you, but the
2: Army and the Marines do not issue 17-toe boots, so I'm afraid we can no longer accommodate you in this service. So, everything is just kind of just like, okay, not great. Uh, He ends up getting investigated by the FBI again in 2017. uh, This time, because they assume he's doing uh, the exact same shit, they think he's, um, this time stealing, um... Uh, resources. They get him on larceny for stealing uh, smoke detectors in his apartment. They also have him at this point, uh, he's a believed paranoid schizophrenic, and they also believe he's doing coke, which is a, a
1: trifecta of great things to happen in your life. Uh-huh. There really are not a lot of drugs that a paranoid schizophrenic should do, but <laughs> I can tell you, coke is probably one of the worst. Yeah, and And it's
2: and I should say that it's it's hearsay on if he was actually doing coke. Uh, an informant to the FBI kind of listed off a laundry list of shit that they accused him of doing, including hiring prostitutes. Uh, a lot of it seemed kind of just like let's stick everything to him. But coke was never no. That found. doesn't that doesn't sound
0: like <laughs> the FBI.
2: <laughs> yeah, accusation of prostitutes. I got to that point and I was like all right, this just seems like they're adding shit now. That, that sounds irrelevant to the rest of it, yeah. Like, you, you can have time to build nuclear reactors and do coke, but I have a very hard time finding he found time to add prostitutes in there.
1: Well, yeah, because that's a whole thing.
2: That, that that's That's a couple hours of your day that you could be doing coke and doing science. Like, I don't see how he could do all three but anyway he ends up getting uh getting charged and convicted of larceny of smoke detectors uh they end up uh recommending medical treatment and he does 90 days in jail unfortunately our story does not end greatly for david unfortunately he od'd in 2016 on a combination of alcohol uh other substances including fentanyl Uh, so sadly uh his story comes to a tragic end but one thing to be said for david (coughs) Is that he had such a fascinating scientific discovery in his life where he he legitimately made a breeder reactor in his backyard through household I mean, objects, which is just insane yeah. to me.
1: Aftermath aside, that's that's a really cool thing yeah. to have done. And obviously with- there were there were there was a different way he should have done it um that maybe you know wouldn't have exposed forty thousand people to harmful radiation but you know
0: right it's still
1: it's uh, incredibly impressive to just to, to be able to do and it's a bit of a tragic story but it's one that can still
2: be described as david was an incredibly smart individual with dumb people around him enabling dumb destructive behavior
0: yeah ultimately i do i do think that's a takeaway from this is that um I mean, at the end of the day, for, I mean, it was crazy how much he got away with, but at the end of the day, he was a kid and, and somebody should, somebody along this long list of people probably should have stepped in and said, this is a child who is building a nuclear reactor. We should probably do something. I'm not one for helicopter parenting, but. Right. um, And,
2: and who amongst us haven't lied to government agents at 17? But when we well, lied to government institutions at seventeen, it didn't carry the weight of nuclear ramifications.
1: It, it was mostly just local cops, yeah. Right, I, I yeah. Think we was, we was lied to it. save
2: ourselves, not to further nuclear science. Right. So right. my my one my one question to you guys is is knowing kind of what we know of this time period, what do you think you could have got away with in the eighties and nineties, knowing that mm governmental systems and everyone involved just didn't give a shit what do you think you could have got away with
1: i mean i would have uh i i think what i would have tried to do was requisition a bunch of stuff from the military like jetpacks and helicopters and all kinds of shit by jet because apparently they don't check things very well in certain government institutions so i would probably just try and, and forge like uh yeah, Colonel Wilson wants this stuff, and forge a bunch of signatures and see if I could get that to slip through the cracks. And you know, then I've got a jetpack. I mean, how fucking cool is that?
0: Mine's similar. Um, I would try and get a tank for one of two purposes. Um, if I if I'm cool, uh, at this time period, it would be to pick up girls. If I'm bullied. <laughs> It's to make sure that I am no longer bullied.
1: I feel like you could follow two with one. Like yeah. if you're the, if you're the guy that got his bullies to leave him alone with a tank, their women are yours now. That's just yeah. that's an ancient social contract. All right. Well, yeah, yeah that's was... that, that's my guy. That's my guy.
0: Great, great, that's a good guy. That's great a fantastic topic. topic. Um. So I'm up next, and um, speaking of irresponsible behavior, <laughs> um, <clears throat> so. Something that, that I've found is that, um, you know, every city, every major city really has, I mean, it has its own distinct personality and there there's nothing that better, um, uh, you know, nothing that better shows this than looking at what their sports fandoms are like. Usually, how a city's sports fans behave is like a little bit of like a microcosm of the personality of that city itself. Um, for better and for worse. And with that said, uh, my guy this week, we're going to talk about Frank Olivo and the time that the city of Philadelphia booed Santa Claus. Oh um, my. So when I, I brought this up in our group chat beforehand, um, Cody's comment really kind of hit the nail on the head, which is that Frank Olivo is my guy for the week. He will come into the story eventually, but really the main character's um, In this whole situation Are Philly sports fans
1: um, Just that, that's the guy Just that as a monolith The personality of Philly sports fans And what's the,
2: great is anyone listening to this Can picture an exact Single person and they like yeah no I get it
0: Frank Olivo is my guy because he uh, Unfortunately Wound up becoming kind of the Face of um uh How Philly Sports fans can act when they really Set their mind to it For those who who aren't familiar, um, the city of Philadelphia, I started by saying this, my, my, my purpose with this is not to shit on the city of Philadelphia. It's a place I would actually
1: bonus. It's
0: a place I would actually love to visit someday. I I think I would have a great time there. I find the culture of the city fascinating, but I mean, their sports fans are probably the nicest way to put it are, you could call them a tough crowd, um, (laughs) They hate every other team on the face of the earth, and the only thing they hate more than every other team is their own teams. Maybe not more, but as much as. Um, so, I, I mean, really, they're known not just for, for you know having a hair trigger, for booing their own team, or anything that happens, but for frequently going over the top to the point that it becomes a problem. I'm going to run th- just briefly through a few of their greatest hits. Um, probably the first like major such incident 1949 a game uh where the phillies were hosting the uh this time the new york baseball giants i don't think they'd moved to san francisco yet um philly had to had to wind up forfeiting that game um because apparently there was a decision by the umpire that they didn't like and they decided to help the ump with glass bottles and tomatoes don't know how they (laughs) snuck tomatoes in i think just for that
1: purpose um see that if you go all go to all the trouble to sneak the tomatoes in just throw the tomatoes because the glass bottles are way way worse uh
0: 1972 um in a game between the philadelphia flyers their hockey team with uh our st louis blues um a brawl erupted um where fans attacked the entire blues team and an assistant coach needed 12 stitches um Let's see. uh, Ryan Howard, who was a very very good player for the Philadelphia Phillies, got beer bottles thrown at him once. Um, I don't. I didn't find out. Remember that one. Um, Let's see. uh, Chris Baker, who is a defensive tackle for uh, Washington, um, got ejected from a game. He was in the wrong at first. He got ejected from a game for a dirty hit on Eagles quarterback Nick Fultz. and this is just the most Philly thing possible. As he's walking. Uh to the locker room, someone uh, pelted him with a cheese steak. Um that's which sounds like a bit, but that happened.
1: Sounds <laughs> um, funny, like a fucking political cartoon. If if I were a Philadelphia sports fan and I was gonna huck something from the concession stand at an opposing player, that would be my first choice. Cause like that's a statement. That's yeah. like <laughs> and and don't you fucking forget it. This is who we are. You're
2: sends the regards and it's a fucking Philly steak in the face.
0: It's like uh like in pirate days where they'd send uh the black spot to someone <laughs> just as <laughs> a sign <laughs> that you're fucked. That's the Philly version. When you get hit with a cheesesteak out of nowhere. <laughs> it's,
1: it's gotta be the con with the whiz too, not the provolone, because oh, that yeah. shit splatters.
0: Um Let's see. Uh, one of my absolute favorites, and I would recommend anyone look up the YouTube footage of this. In 2001, the Flyers were hosting the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, and Ty Domi, who played for the Maple Leafs at that time, notorious like tough guy from around that time, um, got put into the penalty box, and some fans got right up by the penalty box, were heckling him, and so Ty Domi squirted water in their faces. One of these geniuses decides to try and climb into the penalty box and fight Ty Domi, and he really didn't have to do anything because this guy was so uncoordinated he couldn't really figure out how to get into the box before security got him. But the footage is amazing. Um, let's see. Uh, during a playoff series at some point in the 2000s, I can't remember when. Um, uh, Ed Snyder, uh, who was one of the original founders of the Philadelphia Flyers from long ago, um, this one this one's a little more sad. He he I think passed away of cancer. Um, and so the game three of the series, which was the first home game for the Flyers, um, they had a giveaway, which were plastic bracelets in honor of Ed Snyder. Well, unfortunately, the Flyers really stunk it up that night. And so the uh, tribute plastic bracelets became projectiles. Oh,
2: no. uh, <laughs> Shooting them like rubber
1: bands. <laughs> uh,
0: so the Phillies won the World Series in 2008. Um, I'll say this. There was a lot of misery in Philadelphia sports in the 20th century. Things have gotten somewhat better uh, this century. The Phillies won the World Series in 2008. Um, they had a player on that team. There's there's like a couple of baseball players named Adam Eaton. There's an outfielder who was really good, and there was a reliever. or, or a, I think he might have actually started at one point. There's a pitcher who stunk. That's the one who played uh, early <laughs> in the season for the Phillies. And he was so bad that they had to release him and trade for Joe Blanton, who was not very good, but was a a step up from Adam Eaton. And after they won the World Series, they did a ring ceremony at the stadium. Um, And of course, everyone who participates in the team, even if you suck, gets a ring. And uh, they give Adam Eaton his ring, and some of the fans start booing that he got a ring. And the rest of the fans don't appreciate that the other uh, the other Phillies fans are booing him, and so a huge brawl breaks out over whether they should boo Sky, <laughs> who is on their World Series team. Um, one of the oh most infamous God, that... was a Phillies fan uh, who has become known as Puke Man, because for reasons that have never really been explained, he intentionally throws up over the railing onto an 11-year-old girl. And her father, who unfortunately for this, for puke man, happened to be an off-duty police officer. Um, one of the, one so, of the...
1: So he just, he defends yeah. himself like a buzzard. He just, <laughs> just vomits? So, First of all, how did he, how, how do they know he intentionally puked? Like, witnesses, yeah, witnesses...
0: Witnesses saw him put his fingers down his throat and throw up over the railing onto an 11-year-old girl. So <laughs> that
1: is that makes no goddamn sense. That is so fucked up. So, so Alex,
2: as as somebody who's entrenched in the law, yeah, what is the official like crime, and how do you defend that?
0: that so Using he a biological weapon. I did see what he got <laughs> charged. I did see what he got charged with. Um. And I'm not familiar with Pennsylvania's criminal code, but there are like, I think it was like some, uh, like, I'm not going to say minor, but like moderate assault charges that were filed against him.
2: Like um, assault, assault with bodily fluid. Like, what do you, what do you call that?
0: Well, I, I don't know if there's a specific charge for it, but I mean, yeah. there's also like you know, disorderly conduct, all kinds of. Because I mean, yeah. Um. So Puke Man did get in some trouble for for that. <laughs> uh, accordingly, um, there's a the guy. Uh, yeah. Puke man could be just a guy in and of itself. Um, finally, um, Michael Irvin, legendary receiver for the, uh, Dallas Cowboys. His career actually ended with a really, uh, terrible injury that he suffered playing a game in Philly. Um, like he took a really uh, nasty hit and was down and like, it was very obvious how hurt he was and Philadelphia. Being the people they are, of course, they cheered the whole thing. <laughs> oh, God. So, uh, so that's Philly fans. Things got so bad at Eagles games in particular. For a while, they actually had a jail under the stadium and a judge on call at all times because so many people would get arrested for disorderly conduct for how they <laughs> behaved at Eagles games.
1: <laughs> so I, I thought that when It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia did this episode that they were exaggerating a little bit as far no. as how uh, nuts Philly fans are. I think now they might have been a little bit kind.
2: That's That's been my whole thought this
0: time is how on
2: brand has that It's Always Sunny episode been?
0: It's just one of those things like when the, when a Philly sports team accomplishes something like for real, it's amazing. Like, look at the celebrations when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. It was some of the best footage you'll see. People were going nuts. I mean, they're clearly like these people were happier than they'd ever been um, to finally get to see this happen because the Eagles have existed for a long time and had never won a Super Bowl. Um, so, like, when it's good, it's good, but when it, when it's bad, it is really bad. Which brings us to the 1968 Eagles. Um, that's where this story really begins. Um, <coughs> As I mentioned, the Eagles they had never won a Super Bowl until just a few years ago. Before the Super Bowl era, they'd won some championships, 48-49 in 1960. I think that was in the era of Chuck Bednarik, legendary linebacker for Philly. Um, so they're going into the late 60s, which is when the Super Bowl era began. We're, we're about to get the merger between the NFL and the AFL. Um, their head coach was a guy named Joe Kaharich, Um, now a, a hated, hated figure, one of many in Philly. Um, in 1966, his second season... Um, was actually pretty promising they went nine and five which is good for second place in their division and that's i don't remember if they made the playoffs or not but that was like a borderline playoff team um, so they showed some promise 67 take a bit of a step backwards they finished six seven and one so it's pretty well understood going into 68 the Jokaharich and the current uh, administration of the team are on a they're on thin ice they really need to go out and prove themselves to keep their jobs in their first 11 games it's a 14 game season at this point their first 11 games of 1968 whatever you like to guess how many games they won
1: so uh, what's the span again their first, In,
0: couple, their first um, 11 games
1: their first 11 games their first uh, 11 I'm going to say they didn't win a single one how about you Jack I'm going to go a little bit higher I'm going to
2: say 2 and 9
0: well Cody was right they went 0 and <laughs> 11 to start the season
2: and <laughs> you the, took the easy option I had to go a little bit higher
1: $1 Bob
0: the, <laughs> God damn it! So, but here was the thing, though. I mean, obviously they they stunk horribly, but as time went on, they started to stink so bad that it actually gave Philly fans something to cheer for, because they're looking at um vying for potentially going winless so that they can get the number one pick in the upcoming draft in nineteen. So
2: the fans are all in on the tank.
0: Yeah, yeah. They they call it. They start jokingly call it that they're going for the perfect season. Um. <laughs> so. The biggest problem with the team was the offense. They scored 13 points per game in their first 11 games. They'd only scored 20 or more points once. Their de- defense was kind of hit and miss, but it really didn't matter because the offense sucked so bad. The passing game was their bigger problem. They had a running back who was okay and actually made the, the Pro Bowl, but um, I mean, you know, it was an uphill battle. He, he you know, it, it just wasn't enough. They needed um, an influx of like talent on offense, somebody who can like change the, the, like the direction of that offense and overhaul. And there was someone in that upcoming draft in particular that they had their eye on and they knew they would probably need the number one pick to get, but more on him later. Um, so they start 0 and 11 and they do have this hope that like, you know, we're going to get the number one pick in the draft. We're going to, they know that, you know, they're probably in a clean house in the organization. We're going to get this fresh start with this, with this uh, great player that we have our eye on. But then Something happens, which is oh, no. their next two games are against organizations that are even more loathsome than theirs. First, they play the Detroit Lions, and uh, the Lions were slightly better than they were, but they, they shut out the Lions twelve to nothing. One loss wasn't wasn't really enough to tank the efforts, but they, I mean, they needed to lose out after that point. Their next game, they face the early New Orleans Saints, who are a miserable miserable franchise at that point um their team was also really bad that year uh they beat the saints 29 to 17 that's a that's a high scoring game yeah and, and so they they're in the position where now they've won two games and it's pretty obvious they're not getting the number one pick um legendary sports writer ray Didinger wrote about it and said they've screwed this up so completely they're like, the one time we need them to be bad, it can't even be bad. That's how how terrible this organization is. Um, and so fans were, like, livid at this point. Like, this team is bad, but not even in a way that, that we're going to be able to, to get what we want out of it. And so they have one more game in the season. It's a home game versus the Minnesota Vikings. Um, and the Vikings, I should say, were actually a pretty good team that year. They were, like, a, a going into this game, I you know, their the record wasn't that great, but they were like looking at, at being a playoff team. Um, and yeah. in fact, they did win. What, wind year, up... is...
1: what Nin... year is this again?
0: Nineteen sixty-eight. The Vikings were pretty okay. good around so, that time.
1: So not quite purple people eaters era, but close. So yeah, not like far eight off. five or some shit.
2: Like they're they're a little bit over five hundred, but not like a
0: powerhouse.
1: Okay. Yeah, gotcha.
0: Yeah, they they they've got like one of the last spots in the in the playoffs. So yeah. okay. Um. So. The other problem with this game, fans were already upset. Um, They knew there was no point to this season anymore. (laughs) They weren't going anywhere, and they weren't going to get the number one pick like they wanted. The other problem was the weather was downright awful. Like, weather in Philly in winter is pretty bad, but this was bad even by their standards. There had been a blizzard earlier that week, um, and it was not still snowing, but the cold stuck around. Wind chill was nine degrees below zero. And, oh, since, and since it had snowed earlier in the week, it was one of those things where it's like, it's snowy, slushy, muddy, and just cold. Just awful. The types of conditions. Viserable. Yeah, those types of conditions. Like some of the worst possible. So A good viewing experience
2: if you're at home in the heat watching it on TV. But if you're there, it's fucking
0: awful. And the game itself was pretty boring. They're actually tied at the half, 7-7 seven to seven against a good team. but It was just a boring game. There's nothing fun about it. They couldn't even enjoy that they were beating this or that they're tied with this good team. I mean, the you know, whatever they did in this game, whether they could pull off the upset or not, the damage was done. The fans knew they'd blown it. Um, they were sick of this regime, they were just sick of everything that the Eagles were at this point. <laughs> Ownership, they were they were aware of this. They weren't they weren't that stupid. So they had something so planned.
1: It was the people whipping eggs at them in the street that tipped them off, do
0: you think, maybe? Maybe, the, probably the letter's full of death threats um, that I'm sure they got. Uh,
1: he woke up with half a Philly cheesesteak in his bed. <laughs> so they had something no, planned.
0: That's a
2: good joke. No, that's
0: a good joke. They had some plan to lift the spirits of the fans. Um, this was not a new idea, but they decided we're going to do our special annual Christmas pageant at halftime that we like to do. Oh, no. And the... Oh, the
2: God.
0: So the crux, the crux <laughs> of this pageant is that cheerleaders will dress as elves while an imitation Santa drives a sleigh through them and waves to the crowd, and it's Santa Claus. Everyone loves Santa Claus. Um, So, this whole thing, before it even started, was a disaster for a couple reasons. First of all, the sleigh got stuck in the mud before ever even making it out onto the field. So the sleigh's out. Um, it's actual Santa going, I'm giving you a blessing. <clears throat> Don't go out there. <laughs> Well, so the second problem, though, was the imitation Santa they hired. It was not Frank Olivo. This is not where Frank Olivo enters the story quite yet. They hired a real imitation Santa. Um, Santa was a no-show, and there's conflicting stories as to why. One says because the weather was so bad he couldn't make it. The other theory, which I like, is that he was so drunk he couldn't even appear. And when you're too <laughs> drunk to show as an imitation Santa, you are drunk. And yeah, this was literally. early in the day on a
1: Sunday <laughs> It's literally John Belushi from the Santee Rap commercial. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: I'm just imagining the movie oh, Bad Santa oh. with Billy Bob Thornton, and it's just him showing up drunk as shit with an elf, and the elf
0: yelling at him the whole time. So Eagle's management is probably fearing a riot at this point, and so they don't have their Santa, they don't have their sleigh, um, so they look around and th- see if there's something they can do to salvage the situation. This is where our protagonist, Frank Olivo enters the story. (laughs) Frank Olivo at this point was 19 years old. Diehard, diehard Eagles fan. Um, He and his family had season tickets. And for a few years now, the bet that he would do at the last home game of the season, he would always come dressed as Santa. He was the Santa in the stands. So look in the stands and they see the day's saved. There's a guy out there who's dressed as Santa. Um... And they, they go up there and they talk to him. And um, I'm sure maybe some of their thought was like, this guy's one of them. Surely this won't go badly. They won't boo their own people. No. So they go up to him and the instructions that they gave were basically walk down the stands to the field and just wave at the people. you're It's like you're making an appearance. It's, it's like the queen going through in a parade. You're just waving at everybody. And Frank, of course, I mean, he's excited. He, he decides to... Um, uh you know this is his time to uh you know to to make some people happy to bring some christmas cheer and he probably thinks the same i'm one of them what could go wrong well he underestimated how upset the city of <laughs> philadelphia was at this point um frank gives a quote that like he was disappointed but he understood why this happens he goes down to the field um and he turns around and waves and fans know what this is. They know that, that <clears throat> the ownership that they loathe is putting this on. So they do not care that this is one of them. And a rain of boos start coming from the stands, followed quickly by a quote, and this is from the time, a quote-unquote tsunami of snowballs. <laughs> so
1: See, tsunami of snowballs sounds like the next uh, August Burns Red Christmas album. That actually sounds pretty cool, but... Yeah, I imagine that. at the time it was not super cool.
0: Yeah, so mm. Frank Franco's out trying to spread some holiday cheer, uh, to his own people to the city that he loves, and they they are having none of it at all. <laughs> uh, basically, they, I mean they they mercilessly pelt this guy, um, and he had some great quotes. I, I didn't think to write him down, unfortunately, but like he is just leading into head the whole time, like someone. Someone I think through like something a little harder than a snowball in the direction of him, and he's like telling people like, you're not getting anything for Christmas. Like he's, he's in character this whole time is the best part. Um, So it doesn't work. And um, so the aftermath, Frank Olivo, um, I'll say this from every quote gathered from everybody was a wonderful guy. Everybody loved the guy. And he, first of all, he did not let this break his spirit. He remained a diehard Philly um uh, Eagles fan until the day he died, which is about five years ago. Um and I mean, you know, he, he got a little sick of the attention in the story, but you know, he would always do interviews. People love he worked as a barber and a casino dealer in Atlantic City, lived in Jersey. He kept the suit that he wore for four decades until he died. Oh wow. wow. Um so you know he didn't let this break his spirit thankfully. Frank Oliva was just a big jolly guy. And I mean, to see pictures of him, especially in his older years, you can see how he would be a good Santa, big, chubby, just cheery guy. Um, So happy ending for him, really. I mean, he got to live out, you know, nothing bad happened to him. He's he said he understood why it happened. Eagles, um, not only did they fire the coach, but they uh, sold the team after the season. (laughs)
1: I feel like if he's that diehard of an Eagles fan and he's been part of that fan base for that long, he just kind of understands how it works and that sometimes that kind of shit just happens. And it it doesn't mean that they hate you and want you to die, except for maybe in that moment. But like it's it's just part of the culture and it's it doesn't really carry over week to week as much.
0: I like to think Frank is looking at it and being like, yeah, no, I would have booed me too. <laughs> yeah. I think his sad comments. Like he, he knew what was going on. He was unhappy with how things were going as well. And that was pretty much exactly his point was that, you know, he didn't like being belted with snowballs and booed <laughs> as Santa Claus, but like he gets, it. he's an Eagles fan.
2: It's, it's like that, uh, in, uh, 1985 where it's like the the minute of like uncontrolled hate where it's like, he's like, yeah, no, I know that I'm the lightning rod of bullshit for the
0: Eagles yeah. fans to be able to exist. So the 1969 draft, I looked at it, was not a very good class. Like, there were a few Hall of Famers that came from the class.
1: They were taking for nothing. The Eagles who, got— Who is it they were shooting for, exactly? You yeah. know?
0: Well, I'll get to that in a second, because I want to point out the fact that they had a chance to fully redeem themselves, but <laughs> oh, no. But they screwed even that up. So they they wind up with a number three pick. They draft a guy who's a defensive back named Leroy Keyes. Total bust. He only played in the league for, like, four years. And they don't have that much of an excuse for not getting number one. You know who the next two picks off the board were? Oh, fuck.
2: It's going to be like
0: Johnny Unitas. Not quite that good. Number four was Mean Joe Green, Hall of Fame defensive player. (laughs) And I know they were looking on offense, but they just needed help everywhere. The number five pick, an interesting uh, story, a quarterback named Greg Cook, who is not a Hall of Famer, but he he got drafted by the Bengals, was like a phenom in his first couple years under – Um, This was basically young uh, uh, Bill Walsh while he was coaching the Bengals. And he looked like he could have been a Hall of Fame talent, uh, suffered a horrible shoulder injury. And at that time, they didn't know how to really handle those. And so he never played again. But he was like, had he not gotten Uh, hurt, could have been Joe Montana before Joe Montana, because it was the same system under Bill Walsh. Um, So I've kept you waiting long enough to tell you who they wanted. And who they wanted did, did in fact drafted first overall, um, the number one overall pick by the Buffalo Bills, none other than the Juice himself, Orenthal James Simpson, running oh back at a USC. Oh. <laughs> so that's the 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 other was great little video. that was yeah. the, the other great detail in this case. And from the football standpoint, they were justified. OJ Simpson yeah. was an amazing player. But up
1: until yeah, the he murder. Was, he was great. The, he was he was the best talent in that draft, bar none. I would think. He, he, I, think I, you, I think he was going to be a great actor one day. Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that's just a, a... imagine if they had wound up putting <laughs> him in Philly. You put a man with OJ Simpson's personality in Philadelphia. I think it all implodes a lot faster. He would have killed more.
0: So. Lots of people have heard the story that Philly booed Santa Claus. What not everybody knew, and I didn't even know before I fully started reading on this, um, was the full story is that Philadelphia booed, not an imitation Santa Claus, but another fan's rest as Santa Claus because they were mad that the team had won their last two games and was preventing them from drafting OJ Simpson. Great stuff. And that that
1: is a much more interesting framework than you normally hear that that than just you know the straight up they boot Santa Claus
2: that is a fine wine of a sentence
0: so my last thing on this is that um I mean you know Philly usually is pretty understanding of what they are but this one like I can always kind of tell like leaves a bad taste in their mouths um, they they do feel like some shame about it because like it was just embarrassing and what I'd say about that is like look they, they're their outrage was justified. Maybe they didn't. They, maybe they didn't have to boo Santa, but I don't think they should let this one bother them. Because frankly, it's only maybe the top ten worst things that Philly fans have ever done. Um, and the
1: aftermath of this was pretty benign. Like not, yeah. nothing really. Nothing really happened to anybody that was was all that serious.
2: There's no like gross negligence or like permanent scarring on whoever like was inflicted. Like it's just one of those. Just like. Yeah, no, when we look at it, it sounds fucked up, but I promise nothing bad happened.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't even put it in the same stratosphere of bad as like Puke Man or Ed Snyder Plastic Bracelet Night. Those are like truly shameful incidents. Yeah. Um, <laughs>
1: yeah, the, the Puke Guy one is going to bother me for the rest of my life. I did not know that existed.
0: Um. So, so yeah, that's the story of Frank Olivo and Philly booing Santa Claus. And uh, to wrap this up, my big question to the two of you, um if you could uh launch projectiles at any uh fictional holiday character who would you choose
1: uh any fictional holiday character you say sure Hmm. let's see like two of them i mean you know i'm gonna go with uh this is a tough one i'm gonna go with the great pumpkin because Uh he never shows up where he's supposed to be and he, he disappoints a lot of little kids, even though he knows that their pumpkin patches are, in fact, the most sincere. Linus it, is definitely big, was. Yeah. It's all a big ploy for the candy company. He's just shilling for, for Nabisco and M&M Mars. And, you know, I, I just I think he deserves to be taken down a peg. What would I throw at him? I'm not entirely sure. I don't think it matters. I, I think he'll get the point. Hashtag. Sure. Let's throw Philly cheesesteaks.
0: Hashtag justice for Linus.
1: In, justice for Linus.
2: In lieu of taking a similar vein and throwing Philly cheesesteaks, I, I'm i going to take the easier but I think a more stern approach. I'm going to throw eggs at the Easter Bunny. Uh, one, how do you get to come and then hide things that you're giving to me? No, fuck you, just give them to me. <laughs> also, your eggs aren't even eggs. They're just shit candy. And also, it's just candy out in the open. It's not even good anymore. It's 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 ruined. You've ruined what you're giving me, and you're giving it to me in a shitty way. I'm throwing actual eggs at you. Also, why is a
1: bunny giving eggs? Everything now, about this is bullshit. You make a good point. That is kind of a perverse way to distribute this stuff, because, like, what if you were going to go donate a bunch of food to the homeless shelter, yeah. but, like, you, you made them hunt for it? That's, right. like, so psychopathic. That's it's, a thing that a crazy person does. It's
2: fucked up. You make me work for my gift. And also, it doesn't make sense. And also, again, why does a bunny lay eggs? They don't lay eggs, I don't think. I'm pretty shit at science, but I don't think they lay eggs. They no. do not, in fact, lay eggs.
0: And you know what? This is a, this is actually a landmark moment for the pod. We needed some enemies. Um, so that Easter bunny, we're calling your ass out. Great pumpkin, Fun. we're calling your ass out. You two are jokes. I'm okay don't, going please, on the record. You're
2: cool. Please don't kill us. Yeah, Philly, Philly you're cool. I talked shit about Detroit earlier. Philly, you're you're a one. Uh, fuck the Easter Money for life. It's on site. If I see him, I'm punching him.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, good stuff, everybody. Uh, great answers. That brings us to our third and final guy uh, of this show. Cody, it is your turn, and I know you're really looking forward to this one. Anybody who uh, follows your social media in the last several days, um, you know, uh, anybody who knows you might know where this is going, uh, can piece that together. Um, so, without further ado, take us away. Who's your guy this week?
1: All right, so uh, I'm gonna stick with the the realm of sports, uh, more importantly, the world of baseball, which uh, there's so many great historical baseball figures. I mean, we. We could and probably will do multiple all baseball-related episodes. This is one of my favorite people. Um, this guy, I think, fits the definition uh, of what I think the phrase "national treasure" should mean. Just uh-huh. a, a guy that has been enjoyed by so many people for so many reasons, and largely I agree. just because because of how fun he is. So, without further delay, I'm talking about former baseball player, longtime baseball broadcaster. Sometime actor and current voice of the Milwaukee Brewers, Mr. Bob Eucher. Yes. Bob Euchre, one of the uh, more storied broadcasters in Major League history. Um, he's not really talked about uh, among guys like Jack Buck and Harry Carey, who were were notable for how great they were at capturing the emotion of the game. Euchre is just he's a super entertaining guy. One of the funniest people, I think, uh, uh, most organically funny people who's uh, ever existed. Now, he is uh, somebody that more people know from his broadcasting <laughs> career than his Major League Baseball career for reasons that will become obvious here in a moment. Spoiler alert, he wasn't very good. He really um, was. And he was pretty pretty well aware of this fact. But people um, noticed you know, right away when he took over the broadcast booth, still fairly young, uh, that's what made him a legitimate star again we will go into the specifics later on but he wound up with a tv career because of that because he was just so damn charming and just kind of uh as a brief overview like i said parlay that into some movie roles uh it's still to this day man's the, the booth for the brewers and uh one of their most beloved uh players uh or not players one of their most beloved figures uh in the history of the team so Let's uh, take you through the early life and career of Bob Euchre. First of all, he was born and raised in Milwaukee, which explained his lifelong connection to the city. He still lives there today. Um, came up as a baseball prospect in high school. Uh, now, here is uh, one of the things that make Bob Uecker so special is the way he explains these events in his life. I said, a very funny guy. There will be a lot of Bob Euchre quotes. Uh, I'll warn you when one is coming up. But his first scouting trip, he went uh, to uh, at one of the scouts or be looked at by one of the scouts for the then Milwaukee Braves. Um, he was a pitcher at that point, mostly a pitching prospect. He said, yeah, I was throwing, you know, late, uh, or upper eighties, lower nineties fastball. You know, I thought it was pretty good for a high school kid. He was 16 when he was trying out and he threw for a little while for the Milwaukee Braves pitching coach. And the pitching coach repeatedly said, okay, not bad. You're warmed up. Now throw your good fastball. <laughs> oh, no. And Euker said, I I did. I did throw the – that was my good fastball. He said, then, son, I think you need to get a job. <laughs> Damn. Uh, luckily, uh, that, that one is corroborated. Uh, that was – I don't remember what the guy's name was, but uh, the uh, pitching coach for the Milwaukee Braves at the time. Luckily enough, somebody else in the organization took a, a chance on him. Yeah, at a, and, a certain point. And,
0: and so, like, this will kind of be a running theme with Yuke is this is a point where a lot of like young athletes would have really taken that shot to the ego and let it kind of drag them down, yeah. but Yuke, being the guy that he is, as we'll see, only knows how to use these things to his advantage.
2: And it's yeah. it's kind of the prototypical athlete where you you take that that ship and you manufacture it and you build on that forever. And you're just like, they didn't want me in the league. I wasn't good enough. And you, you manufacture your own villain to project your own career.
1: But, but afterwards, he's able, as we'll see, to be realistic about, you know, the, the kind of talent level he was. And, again, was just super humble about it. Did uh, obviously make the uh, minor league roster as a catcher. That was the position he played his entire career. Was never a starter. Um, Just a little bit about his playing career. He played uh, in the league from 1962 to 1967, played for the Milwaukee Braves, uh, the St. Louis Cardinals, Philadelphia Phillies, and then the Atlanta Braves. Uh, His career line uh, for the three main is uh, he was a 200 hitter, 14 home runs, 74 RBIs, and 731 Um, at-bats. Yeah. Just a a little bit, yeah, over those five seasons. (laughs) Basically, basically your standard numbers really for a backup catcher he wasn't quite as terrible a player i think as as people want to make him out to be but just compared to but he even before his wit was legendary in the broadcast booth he was making his teammates laugh uh the entire time he was in the league some of my favorite stories i'll go ahead and get into now the first one um my all-time favorite has got to be the tuba story so let's just go into the alex i think you've heard this one before i have but you've probably heard me tell this one before so this one i first heard about this but it is verified by several different stories but this one and the next story i'm gonna gonna tell you um were verified by uh, a cardinals legend bob gibson i remember watching him in the broadcast booth on a game talking with uh, the cardinals broadcasters at the time telling stories about bob euchre so uh this is straight from the mouth of of nl legend uh bob gibson one day before this uh home game they're playing at uh, bush stadium the original bush stadium uh, they had this band come in to play the national anthem, as was fairly common back then. But what wasn't so common was that, for reasons that are still unclear, the uh, band, after they warmed up, they just left their instruments down there on the field, like in foul territory, down one of the baselines, <laughs> while the ball players were out there warming up. Now, that seems, on the face of it, to be a dumb idea because absolute best case scenario you're, you're going to get hit with like an errant throw or, you know, a foul ball or, you know, you're going to get your, your equipment hit by a ball and damage. The worst case scenario is that playing for that team is Bob Euchre because <laughs> the, the result of this was, he said, uh, Gibby said, I was warming up on the mound, taking my long toss with the catcher at the time. And then suddenly behind me, I hear clang, clang clang just every couple seconds he said i finally turned around to see what it was and bob euchre is out in the outfield catching fly balls in the tuba mm-hmm. the tuba that <laughs> the band left there he picked it up and was catching fly balls in it <laughs> now, i feel like his responsibility shared among his coaches and teammates for nobody telling him hey put that fucking tuba down you idiot but uh, to this day, Gibson said he was the only player in Major League history, as far as he knew, that had ever had money docked from his paycheck for tuba repair. How <laughs>
2: that, that so often doesn't in say- the history of living mankind has put down that tuba, you fucking idiot, been iterated, and how many times has it been at
0: Bob Uecker?
1: I I would bet it's been said at least five times. I'm going to conservatively say at least three of those were Euchre.
0: I'm going to give him credit for this. That's probably not easy, catching shaggy balls in a tuba. It's probably... One, that's comedically
2: hilarious. And two, that still shows that you're a professional athlete and you can coordinate that.
0: Absolutely.
1: Now, like, if I were the tuba player for that band, (laughs) obviously I'd be kind of annoyed, but I'd also be like... That's fucking cool. I'm not gonna be that mad. That's funny. Like that. That's. I mean, how much damage is that really?
2: How much damage is that really doing to the tuba? That's just funny. I I, 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 I've never played out. a tuba. I don't know how durable they are, but I imagine they can take a flyball.
1: I don't know how how bad a dented tuba is for the instrument. I don't know <laughs> if that's a serious problem for for uh, playing it later on. The second one I've never heard anywhere else. Uh, I'm looking for evidence on this one, but I remember Bob Gibson saying it um, firsthand on this Cardinals broadcast. So again, this is the (laughs) mid to late 60s. A lot of things were different in that time period, and a lot of things were not looked upon uh, quite as, you know, acceptingly as they are now. So he said one year for the team picture, this is when he was playing for the Cardinals, he said for the team picture, they just... Did what they always did, and they had us sitting on the bleachers there on the side of the stadium, just all, you know, kind of a standard sports team picture. He said, Euchre was sitting next to me on the end of the bench when we took this picture. And when the photographer got everybody posed, and right before he was getting ready to take this picture, Euchre said very calmly and without, you know, being ostentatious about it reached down, and very visibly held my hand while the picture was taken. So the team, obviously, in the mid to late 60s, you can't do that. You can't have two dudes holding hands in the front row of a professional baseball team photo. They just well, they can't do that.
0: And it's it's you and Gibson, so not only are you going to attract uh, homophobes, you're going to attract racists also. Because Now not only do yep. we have a... a uh, uh, holding hands between two men, but it's an interracial hand holding so it's objectionable to basically every class of bigot in the late '60s.
1: Yeah, and he, he said um, they were the team was super pissed off. He said they had to retake the photo later on because they didn't notice it until like they had the prints done and were ready to put this photo out as the official team photo. Like they just barely caught it in time. And uh, how much would you they pay had to re- retake the picture?
0: much would you pay for one of those prints if you could find one
1: uh well however much i can afford basically like it, imagine. if it's if it a disposable amount of income for me yeah i would absolutely pay it.
2: i could very easily see that exact picture hanging like in a dining room in cody's house or apartment like it's that just seems like one of those like it's sports enough but also just like do you know why this picture is here kind of pictures <laughs>
1: yep yeah, it just it, it Gibson just thought it was the funniest damn thing. He said the the hardest part for me, because Euchre didn't tell him he was gonna do that. So the hardest part for him was to keep from laughing when he did it. <laughs> but like he immediately knew what Euchre was doing, so he he played along with the bit.
2: Usually this is gonna uh, piss off a lot of white people. I'm in.
1: <laughs> uh huh. But yeah, he was obviously he was very humble about uh, his actual playing career. Um, I remember he one of the things that that really got him him famous after he started in radio was he was a good friend of Johnny Carson and was very frequently on his show because Carson's like, you're a really funny dude. More people need to, to know you for your ability to. But I mean, some of the stuff he would say, I remember uh this old clip I was watching. He's sitting there and they're talking about a certain season. He goes, yeah, I just I had a really rough season that year. I was oh, for June and July <laughs> and <laughs> you know just kind of kept on going through through into august he said uh, i didn't get but i think three hits that season they were all in the last week of the year or something like that but he just you know was was very humble about his playing career um and eventually parlayed that into to further work in baseball after he was done uh with playing they originally tried to make him a scout alex you had something
0: yeah just briefly on johnny carson um A brief aside on him, I've heard this from a lot of, like, comedians and media people, is he was incredible um, as basically a star maker. Like, if he saw something in you and really pushed you, like, you were going to have a career launch from that. Um, And so it's completely unsurprising that, you know, Carson was able to recognize Uke's talents and um, basically pushed him to the moon, and it worked. He did that for a lot of people, and thankfully, and of course, we're all grateful that he did.
2: Right, and that's also just, like, speaking to the the platforms of the era, like, Johnny Carson was, like, the top of the fucking thing you could do. Like, if you got the nod from Johnny Carson that you were funny, you were made for a fucking long time without really proving anything. Like, if you got that nod, you were in.
1: Exactly. Yeah, very much like Ed Sullivan in the previous generation in that it was very much a tastemaker kind of thing. So yeah, it, it was great that Euchre, and it, we'll talk later on about how much he was willing to actually get out of this broadcasting career. They initially tried to make him a scout, and this is one of my favorite things in the entire entirety of the research I did, one of my favorite tidbits. They eventually moved him to the broadcast booth because Bud Selig, future commissioner of Bud Selig, <laughs> and then owner of the Milwaukee Braves, Bud Selig, yep. was tired of... Of getting scouting reports that were covered with mashed potatoes and gravy. <laughs> That's why they took him out of scouting. Cody, are, are are you a scout?
2: Because that seems like exactly <laughs> something I would expect from you.
1: No. Uh, when I do play by play, though, my stat sheets have got some pretty gnarly stuff on them. Uh, never uh, potatoes and gravy, though. I'll have to try that. <laughs> but yeah, he he just he knew his personality and was like, "All right." We'll just, we'll fucking, we'll put you in the broadcast booth and, and see how you do there. He's um, just like, why is this scouting
2: report covered in a, a tinfoil pie of whipped cream? Like, why is there, was there a pie here?
1: So yeah, after after he moves to the broadcast booth, really the rest is history. <clears throat> Johnny Carson makes his career, perhaps most famously, uh, was featured as Harry Doyle, the broadcaster in my favorite movie of all time, yep. actually Major League, as, uh, you know, the, the guy who says, just a bit outside. You know, that that guy, that's the quote everyone remembers, did a fantastic job in that movie. Uh, Really funny as hell. Also, uh, in a similar kind of role in a movie called uh, it was a spoof movie directed by, I think, Rob Reiner called Fatal Instinct. That was absolutely terribly (laughs) received, but it was a parody of like erotic thrillers like Basic Instinct and Fatal Attraction. Did that one have Leslie Nielsen? No, it did not. It was oh. it was very much the type of movie that. Okay, I just assume it.
0: all those movies have Leslie needs, Yeah, it's so. it's,
1: but uh, he he appeared in that uh, as doing you know announcer broadcast commentary for a uh, court case, uh, in a very funny. See, I think it's a much better movie than it gets credit for. But again, Eucher did fantastic in that. I thought I'd I'd finish off here with just uh, some of his quotes about, you Mm -hmm. know, his playing career and, and some of the other, you know, he, he really was very self-deprecating, but these are some of the things that, that make him endearing to me is just how much, uh, he, how much humility he had, you know, you talk about going oh for June, but I think, uh, perhaps my favorite quote of his about his, uh, time in the league was anybody with ability can play in the big leagues, but to be able to fool everybody the way I did year in and year out was a much greater feat. (laughs) (laughs) so basically just being able to convince them i was talented enough to be here was the the crowning achievement uh when he was signed he said i signed with milwaukee for three thousand dollars that kind of bothered my dad because he didn't have that kind of dough at the time but we scraped it up
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh Uh, fuck that's smart yeah
1: um about his time with uh st louis he was talking about this with, I think, Jack Buck. He said, people don't know about this, but I helped the Cardinals win the pennant that year. I came down with hepatitis. The trainer injected me with it. (laughs) And uh, famously, this is another thing that uh, Phillies fans remember him from. Uh, He was catching legendary knuckleballer Phil Necro Uh and set the league record, I think, in pass balls that year at the (laughs) time just because... A knuckleball is damn near impossible to catch, and they asked him about the best way to catch a knuckleball. He says, the best way to catch a knuckleball is to wait until it stops rolling and then pick it up. (laughs) So, you know, that's just, that kind of shows, I think, uh, his personality and the kind of uh, joy that he took in, in the game, and not just playing the game, but being around it. You know, a a guy who really just didn't take himself all that seriously despite being, you know, super talented. And I still think that that uh, speaks to to what kind of guy he was. You know, at the end of the day, he wasn't self-aggrandizing like a lot of those guys tend to be. He wasn't, you know, really full of himself. Just uh, a humble, down-to-earth guy who liked nothing better than making people laugh, no matter what it was he was doing, whether he was on the air or or still playing. You know, just everybody has nothing but great things to say about what a, a good time he is. So, you know that that's kind of the ballad of Bob Euchre. This is one that you know had kind of a single thread running through it, but uh, it, you know we just kind of had to to cover the bright spots. There's I could talk about you like literally all day. Um, if you ever get a chance, I believe his uh, acceptance speech for the uh, Ford Frick uh, Excellence in Broadcasting Award is on YouTube. Um, one of the funniest speeches I've ever heard in my life. He just had people absolutely rolling. So check that out if you can find it. Um, yeah, just really a great guy, and I know uh, Jack John. You probably didn't know as much about him, but Alex has heard me rant about this guy for years and years now, so probably fairly familiar for you.
0: Yeah, let's yeah, talk. Yeah, and I mean, you know, like anybody can enjoy Bob Uecker. Um I've I've never had specifically the attachment that you've had. I think um, your love for the movie Major League definitely not is the impetus of it, but but helps fuel it. Um, that's a big
1: part of it yeah
0: that said i definitely get all of it. i mean he's a he's a wonderful man and a story of how you know if you're trying to build yourself up as some kind of media personality um i mean it sounds cliche but like turning lemons into lemonade you know can pay off in a big way i mean here's a guy who was on a large stage and was like one of the worst at at doing it um (laughs) and managed to yeah and, and managed to take that situation and look back at it and rather than, like, dwell on, you know, the fact that, like, I could be doing better, I'm not as good as, as you know, this player or that player, realize how funny it is to be, a like, a guy with a major league career who isn't that great. Right. Um,
1: there, there are people that have kind of a certain, like, <clears throat> just a sense of comedy ingrained where they can kind of look at things sideways, kind of remove themselves from the situation and appreciate it for what it really is and all the ways it could be funny, no matter how it affects them personally. Euchre definitely had that kind of a mind. He just, it, it didn't matter what was, you know, whether it was something good for him, bad for him. He just kind of stepped outside of his own point of view and looked at it and said, this is objectively really funny. Right. And also like, I,
2: I wasn't as familiar. Like, I knew, I knew the general like track record of Bob Euchre, but it wasn't as familiar with some of like the more like niche details of the like the stories, but like, it's just always so fascinating because like when you think of athletes using like the the prime pinnacle like and like he still was a good athlete like he he made it to the major leagues but it's always funny to think of like the people at the bottom who can still like have like that funny spark of be like yeah i'm the bottom of the best players and it's fucking hilarious
1: so jack john here's a, a tidbit for you he actually uh was a ringside announcer for WrestleMania three and four in the late 80s. Oh, yes. Awesome. There's, I, there's, there's footage of him with Andre the Giant that's on YouTube that you need to watch. Yes. yes, Yes. Yes.
2: I, yes. I, now that you mentioned that, yes. Like we're, Andre's choking him out.
0: Yeah. And, yep. and yes. Yes. In fact, I totally forgot. I look, I looked, I was just skimming his Wikipedia page and the legendary WrestleMania three match between Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant, one of the most iconic wrestling matches in history. Bob Uecker was on the call for that, and then WrestleMania Four, Andre Giant, under the Giant, choked him out. Two yes, distinct I honors. I remember,
2: I remember that explicitly. Yes, like I, said, I, I was familiar with kind of just his this like comedic take on sports, but I, I always kind of forgotten <clears throat> kind of like the in betweens. But yes, he's he's such a fascinating sports figure in like and like one of the first like turn just like your sports journey into a career really like you have like your sports identity but then like really like what do you do after the fact and bob Euchre, i think is a poster shot of what you do after that
1: yeah i mean he's just he he's he's a very unique guy i think it's you have to be a a certain kind of person and an uncommon kind of person to to do what he did for a living for so long and still kind of have the the detached ironic perspective he had i think that's something that's just it's a part of very few people and it allowed him to do uh, a lot of stuff that you know a a lot of folks don't don't get to to play a lot of different fields the way he did so my big question for you guys since euchre is a guy that you know i don't just love for his broadcasting skills it's almost more of a personal attachment to me is there anybody like that for you guys i know you're big sports nuts too is there anybody like tangentially related to the sport that you're you know, attached to on kind of a personal level.
0: Oh, that's a tough question. I, I feel like they're definitely. Well, okay. Mine is Lars Newtbar. Let's just be honest. There you go. There it that's there exactly
1: is. that's exactly who I was thinking of. Actually, I like, might one reference. The, 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 I, a lot of my exact kind of relationship I have with Bob Uecker,
0: and my a lot of my brand at this point centers on Lars Newtbar, and it was like he was just a guy at first. The Cardinals drafted him. I like he wasn't like a top draft pick. I had no idea if this guy would ever play. Um, I just thought he was a guy with a funny name. And over time, I've actually like I've I've seen this guy play. I love how he plays. So yeah, he's like, yeah, he he's like my guy. I just love Lars Núñez. Yeah, for
2: That's me, for me, I'm I'm a big Colts fan. So the so there, there's two really easy parallels, but I think one specifically did it much better. So the first would have been Peyton Manning, who kind of like did like the like the minor SNL role and was just like kind of just like goofily funny.
0: Uh-huh.
2: Yeah. Uh, but the more noticeable and bigger way to translate that is Pat McAfee, who yep. has he's he's renowned now for his podcast. And he's also been huge at wrestling, which is also a huge plus for me. But also just a legitimately funny dude who was a good punter and was like, Yeah, no, actually fuck the NFL. I'm not doing this shit anymore and was able to like take his comedic wits and charms and like just like goofy personality and make that his whole persona. So yeah, the
1: I, I think the, part of the reason I'm so attached to Euchre in the way I think we, we the reason I think we all appreciate him is he's kind of done what we all would love to do, which is just do what we're doing right now for a living. Because right. at the end of the day, <clears throat> that's a lot of what he did. So, you know, just to, I think it's kind of reassuring to know that that kind of thing still is possible for people.
2: Right. He he took the, the childhood sports dream, he got to the top of the league, no matter where you were at in the league, he still made it to the fucking league. And then he was like, alright, cool, I'm tell jokes now. And it fucking worked. It fucking worked.
0: And I think um, just a brief anecdote, we talk about uh, like star makers sometimes for these guys when they're able to like go into a big time media career I for Pat McAfee if I have the timing right it was and this is a very midwestern anecdote uh it was his appearances on the Bob and Tom show yeah that, yes, that I, yes. I think he he yes. might have even still been playing at that time it made people realize how funny this guy is right he watched a Bob podcast and, and now does like now does comment like wrestling commentary and he's very good yeah. at it
2: he did Bob and Tom he did like the local comedy circuit like he was doing stand-up comedy and he's got a really funny anecdote about uh, Peyton Manning that's worth looking up uh, about uh, Peyton Manning in a casino, which is the funniest shit. I can't do it justice, but definitely look up that uh, joke if you've got I time. I can't even
1: imagine Peyton Manning in a casino. <laughs> it's just one of my favorite so of
2: one of my favorite Pat McAfee stories. But again, he he, it's one of those things where it's like you just kind of you find your opening and you fucking take it. And Euchre is the perfect example of
0: that. And a lot of people kind of emulate that route, but
2: Euchre is the, the star child for it.
0: So to to tie everything together a bit, uh homework for all of you. Um <laughs> watch um first of all the video or uh yeah, the footage of the Flyers fan trying to fight Ty Domi in the penalty box. Watch <laughs> um uh uh what speech was it the Bob Euchre gave they recommended? It was
1: the uh, Ford uh, the Ford C Frick Award. I think it's just called for broadcasting excellence but if you just type that into YouTube it'll take it to you.
0: so watch that and also um, uh, Pat McAfee's Peyton Manning story and there call the NRC and ask how to build a nuclear reactor and of course uh, well what am I saying I was about to say make sure you listen to this podcast but uh, you already are so continue to do but so
1: listen listen to it again because yeah. we do get uh, you know we do get more more listens that way so good job know, for me, listening just, to it if you want to just leave it on a loop for the entire week, uh, we wouldn't hate that.
0: Yeah. You know how like, uh, uh, like 10 or so years ago, the thing to do, like when you're in college, like we were, would be, um, find out when someone was going away for the whole weekend and sneak into their dorm and, uh, put their laptop on me spin. Um, this is, uh, Mm -hmm. you can basically do that with our podcast and it's only, uh, uh, marginally, uh, less embarrassing. So, uh, yeah, great, great show. Good topics all. Um, I feel like at this point we've covered, like, you can kind of see, like, some of our topics are going to be, like, uh, just weird stories, outrageous stories, bad people in the case of you, like, just a good guy full of stories that we can all enjoy. Um, and that is really the Here's a Guy mentioned. we have now covered six guys, um, and uh, we haven't talked about who we're covering next week yet, but I'm sure... Uh, we're in for uh, more insanity, but no merriment because that's uh, banned from this podcast. Um, so yeah, as we're winding down, um, let's uh, make sure uh, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, Here's a Guy Pod. Um, for those who do, you've probably noticed that sometimes you will get little uh, little snippet previews of what we might be talking about um, if I remember to do it, which is questionable. Um, you can also uh, we have a Gmail um you can email us at here's a mailbox at gmail.com uh we got no feedback last week no threats so i'm gonna call that a wash
1: no no news is good news in that department
0: that's right um if you want to heckle us just know that uh i can probably find out where you live but i don't let that stop you um so yeah that's the uh info for the pod we're on spotify if you're listening on spotify we also are now on stitcher um if you want an alternative way to listen um, I think that's it for the show uh, Cody where can people find you uh,
1: check me out on Twitter I am at son of before <clears> 42069
0: alright how about you Jack you got a, you got a few uh, things going on
2: yeah you can find me on Twitter at Jack John Jose you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash Jack plays games I'm really shit at games it's kind of funny to watch and, and sometimes I'm me... there and sometimes Serpent is there If we plan it out in time and we both have, like, a Monday off or a Wednesday (laughs) off, we haven't done it in a couple weeks. But, yeah, sometimes uh, we have Cartoon Universal Mayhem, which, if you're smart, you can spell that very quickly in your head, where we do Cartoon Wrestling. Or you can find me uh, on my other podcast, which is Beltcast, where I talk about beer and video games with my great friend Pookie.
0: And you can find me on Twitter at Turpin4Prez. That's Turpin and the number 4 Prez. Uh, i think that's it i think that's it yeah my other podcast doesn't, doesn't exist anymore so <laughs> uh, uh but as i, I said last time you, i said it the last time you can go and, and <laughs> list all <laughs> the old <laughs> at
1: least i hope it doesn't i'm way behind
0: uh <laughs> you can go back and listen to the old episodes the saint louis bullpen show they're all on spotify um the difference in that one i actually have the better sound quality of those uh which is a nice little uh they uh, kicked you out yeah Yeah. Um, dishonorably discharged so yeah thank you all for for listening um what another uh, great episode this was and we will be back next week with uh who knows what we're gonna come up with next time but with more uh with more guys to discuss because oh my goodness are there more guys in this world to discuss so thank you everybody have a good time wait wasn't there a sign off line last time that we were talking about cody doing and then i cut you off in the middle of it does anyone remember what that was
1: no, I don't cuz you fucking cut me off in the middle of it.
0: Oh, I think you I think you wanted to tell people to go fuck themselves. Good
1: night where everybody. What are, are you putting those words in my mouth?
0: I think that's I what it, I genuinely think that's what it was. So, good night everybody.
1: You're fucking lying. Good night everybody. Go fuck yourself.